I want to read from the Gospel of James. If you'll turn with me, please, to the Gospel of James, chapter 1. And I heard Brother Tenney touch on this, and I said, somebody's probably already preached it, but whether they have or not, it's, this is my message. Well, I got it from the Lord. Praise God. James 1, 13 and 15 said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And look at the 15th verse. It says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. My text will come from the 15th verse, when lust has conceived. I'm going to change the wording just a little bit, because I want to talk about something that I personally have taken note of. And the title for my message will be this, The Conception of of a weakness, the conception of a weakness. You may be seated. Now, my objective today, and I hope God will help me with this, I really do. I certainly don't want to take up your time needlessly. But I want to explore the process of developing what I will call a personal weakness. You might call it sin. Call it anything that seems good to you. But I've noticed people over the years that have said, I have a weakness in a certain area. And as pastor, I have observed that various people are prone to be weak in some particular area. And I, and perhaps you, have wondered about weaknesses in men. How do they come? How are they acquired? Why are they present? Some have suggested that it goes all the way back to the birth that children are born and some of them are born with some genetic disorder or some genetic imbalance that will sooner or later ultimately lead 
to the development or the demonstration of a weakness. Some have said that it is mental development or mental retardation that men can trace weaknesses to intellectual growth or the lack thereof. Others say that weaknesses can be traced to circumstances such as society or the environment in which you were raised, whether you were poor or whether you were born into a well-to-do family that could give you everything that you needed from a material uh, point of view. But it seems to me that nothing fully explains what is seen in a person's conduct. For I have observed that from the same home and the same environment, the same parents with the same principles can come radically different people. So many things seem to be the same, and yet one person is caught up in destructive behavior, while another person flees that behavior and is never caught or touched by it. Now, this situation is addressed in our text. I believe that this is what James is seeking, or at least one of the things that he says to me. When he says, let not a man say he is tempted of God, or don't say God is responsible in some way for me being as I am. I hear people say that I was born different. And I'm unable to control myself. And God has dealt me a bad hand. It's God's fault. It's, it's something to do with society. And God should not have allowed me to have been put in that set of circumstances. I believe this is a doctrine of devils. And it excuses and it is excuses to deceive oneself I will not fail ladies and gentlemen to take into consideration one's environment some things are very important to the forming and formative process of people in my children, for example, in the home, we know that it is critical, uh, the environment of the home. We know that children are directly influenced by the relationship between their mother and their father. If that's a loving relationship, or if it's bitterness and violence, or argument, or whatever, it affects those babies. We understand, and I understand, that school is important. I understand 
that society and all the many things are directly related uh, to the growth and the development of weaknesses. But God did not cause the present conditions of the world. God did not cause society to be evil. God did not cause evil men to walk the streets. And God did not cause disruptions in the home. This is the work of the evil one and people yielding to his influence. These things are the results of man's ways, if you please. The weaknesses begins with one common element in all people. It can be found in all people. Temptation and individual desire. The Bible in our text calls it lust. Sometimes that word lust takes on somewhat of a restricted meaning and we apply it to moral things perhaps and that's rightly so. But let me use another term to deal with this word lust. Let me use the term inward desire or desires within a man and all of the weaknesses that we see develop comes from people being tempted. Now, that is not such a strange thing because the Bible says in uh, Hebrews, I believe it is chapter 4 and verse 15, that even Christ himself was tempted. We should not think it a strange thing because we have temptation. I believe all men, all women, all children have inward desires that are not in harmony with wholeness and with righteousness. And I believe this is the beginning of the development of the will of weakness. Perhaps we could all agree even that all men feel at some time the pull from within to experiment and move into areas forbidden by our Heavenly Father who watches over us. I believe all men has that desire or that enticement, that temptation at some time or the other to, to move into an area that God says is not good for you. Now the next step is the thing that causes one to withdraw from evil and another to continue in sin. Our text says, James chapter 1, verse 15, then when lust or inward desire has conceived, when it has conceived, ladies and gentlemen, I want to present to you today that there is this period of conception 
where a union is formed between an evil action and that person. And there's a conception and a desire is ignited within that person. Some other people, some other person may have been exposed to the same thing, but there was no conception. And there was no attachment. I'm talking about when, I'm talking about the conception of a weakness. This period of conception, when the inward person becomes the womb wherein begins to grow a strong attachment and hunger for a particular thing. When inward desire hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now death is one common element in death. There is always sorrow at death. When sin has brought forth death, then there is sorrow. But there must be this conception. I say this to you. Temptation is not enough. Temptation is not enough to send you to hell. Temptation is not enough to cause you to sin. Temptation is not enough to bring forth a weakness. There must be a conception. Now this conception of lust or this conception of an inward desire can happen in a moment or it may be a willful, it may be the result of a willful or an accidental exposure to sin. I know people that have just by accident, it seems, by chance, been exposed to something and they had never desired that before and never pursued that before, but they were exposed to it and conception took place and something began to grow in them that they had never had before. Their parents didn't have it. The school didn't have it. The church didn't have it. It's a conception. It begins in an embryonic state. And then it grows. And this desire will encounter resistance from the sound character and moral integrity of a person. If a person has sound character and strong integrity, they will resist that thing. 
But when there is this exposure, the future and well-being of that person hangs precariously in the balance. We wonder about people. Why is it that some people in the church or out of the church will go to the same place and all of them but one gets away and never gets or there's never a conception. There's never an addiction. And why is it that all but one, if I can use a hypothetical situation, everybody else is okay. Oh, we say that person had a weakness. That person was susceptible to this. Say what you will. I am calling it what the Bible calls it, a conception. There is a conception. I could use stronger terminology. When we normally think of conception, we think of a woman who becomes pregnant with a child. There are people, there are all about us that have the opportunity to become pregnant with a child. And yet, all of them don't. But when conception is there, then that thing begins to grow. And it begins to develop. Now, if this desire is allowed to grow to full size in the mind, in the mind, it has not yet produced an outward birth yet. You see what I'm saying? It's still in the embryonic state. It's just a conception, but it's growing. And it's in the mind. And if there's not an abortion, there's going to be a birth. And if something don't happen between the time of conception and until it grows to full age ready for deliverance, it's going to be delivered. If this desire is allowed to grow to full size in the mind, it produces the execution then guilt follows, and then an effort to hide one's act. It's almost always present. It goes, we can trace this trait all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God said, Adam, where art thou? Have you done this? Have you done that? Adam said, God, the woman gave it to me. It's her fault. Cain and Abel, when they were in the field, God said to Cain, where is thy brother? He said, I don't know. He's hid in the ground. God said, if you do well, you'll be accepted. But Cain says, my sin is my brother's fault. In Exodus chapter 32, there's one that takes the cake of all of them. Moses was up in the mountain. Aaron was down uh, in, the, in, the, in the lowland 
and there was Aaron with all the children of Israel, and God said to Moses, you better get down from this mountain. The people are reverting to heathenism. And when Moses came down the mountain, he saw the people in all sorts, all sorts of lewd conduct, dancing around a golden calf. And Moses said, Aaron, how did this happen? And Aaron's answer, Aaron's answer was a classic. He said, everybody took their gold, and I put it in that fire, and this calf just jumped out. That's a little humorous, but it indicates human nature. It is, an in, it is indicative of human nature to cover and blame it on something else. Somebody else did it. Somebody else called. It's somebody else's fault. Today, we see the same spirit at work. We, hear, we see people all about us, and there is rampant alcohol abuse in the land. What do we hear from the psychiatric uh, community? And what do we hear now that's accepted all over the land? Alcoholism is a birth defect. It's a genetic disorder. The Bible says the drunkard will have his part in the lake of fire. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't go to hell for being sick. Oh, but we hear people saying it's not a fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's a character, or it's a birth defect, a genetic disorder that causes some men to be alcoholics and others just to take a drink and go on. Now, I certainly am not advocating any of it, but I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, when you decide that you're going to take a sip of some alcoholic beverage, there can be a conception, and you will be an alcoholic. We hear about drug abuse, drug addicts all over everywhere. The main thing, the, the main fear in the big cities is people can't even walk out in the streets not long ago, two blocks from where I live in a nice subdivision. A man and his wife was getting out of their car, going in their house from church. Two teenagers, drug addicts, stuck a pistol to their head and robbed them. In the broad daylight, on Sunday afternoon, they're coming home from church. I hear people saying drug addiction is uh, related to unemployment or poverty. Or in some cases, it's a birth defect. Then we have criminal conduct of all sorts. And we hear people saying, they're not responsible. It's our heritage. It's society that's produced criminals. And then we've got the latest thing that's a whole lot bigger than a lot of people even imagine. And let me 
use a little southern English, you ain't seen nothing yet. We've got a homosexual problem in the land, and you ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get a lot worse than it is now. And what do we hear people say? It's a birth defect. They can't help it. It's a birth defect. Genetic disorder. God did it. God is responsible. Let not man say he's tempted of God. This is a very dangerous trend. It's not a trend. It's a wide open freeway and society is speeding down it as fast as they can go. And it's a dangerous outlook. It's bad enough, ladies and gentlemen, to live in sin. But it's worse to charge that sin to God or some other excuse. All of these things are sin. And they are brought about in men when they are drawn away of their own lust. And then when lust hath conceived within that man or that woman, it bringeth forth sin. Now, let us all be aware that there is the possibility, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, there is the possibility of lust conceiving within us and bringing forth a child that is called sin, and sin is a murderer. Oh, I see people that say, I'm free from these things. God has put a shield about me, and nothing can touch me. God has encased me in his blood, and nothing can pollute me. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not preaching contradictory doctrine. I'm just telling you that if you aren't very cautious, and all, all I want to do is make you aware that under the right set of circumstances, there is the possibility of a conception. Oh, I'm a preacher. I pastor a great church. I'm free. I'm covered by the blood. I can't happen to me. I don't believe that. Oh, I walk with God. I pray. I live the life. 
that I'm walking in the truth. I got the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there is a process going on in that world out there that can cause conceptions in people that have never been pregnant by sin before. Pardon me if this is improper. I don't mean to sound crude. But I've known of ladies that were barren, didn't have any babies, and they would go adopt one and then have two or three naturally. I see something here, something mystical to me, and maybe that's not the right word, but a mysterious, I should say, happens to that lady that causes her to be able to conceive when she could not conceive before. Doctors don't understand it, and I certainly don't understand it, but situation changed, and the woman that has been barren for years adopts a child, situation has changed. I'm, I'm working toward an analogy here, and then with the, with the, with the right different change of circumstances, now she can conceive. I'm preaching to us today. I'm preaching to myself today. I'm preaching to all of us God-fearing people today. If circumstances, if situations get right, there's a possibility of a conception. And oh, everybody is surprised why that lady didn't conceive for 20 years. But now she's with child. And everybody is shocked when you say, well, that man lived the life, that woman lived the life for years. But now there's a conception. Oh, we say they were hypocrite all that time. I don't necessarily believe that. I'm talking about situations being right for a conception. And once that conception takes place, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. If you don't get an abortion, you're going to give birth. To a baby called sin. And sin is a murderer. Destroying. Destroying self-control. Destroying respect. Killing one's health. The death of the soul and the spirit. And ultimately the body, the destruction of the home, and the violation of the marriage is all the work of a baby called sin. Any knowledgeable person would seek to rid their home of a deadly viper. 
or a poisonous spider. Not able to sleep until all is safe. Not willing to let my babies go to bed and cover them up, even if I do pray with them. There's a poisonous spider somewhere in this house, and nobody's going to sleep till we cleanse it. We're going to purge it. We're going to find it. We're going to destroy it because nobody is safe. I don't care how much you pray. It's in there. We would never think of letting our babies go to bed in such an environment. And yet we go to bed so often with sin lurking about, free to roam the corridors of our minds. How, how shall I name the danger? Shall I speak of pornography? And it's told, ladies and gentlemen, Brother Tenney, please accept my sincerity. I don't believe that the church has an adequate concept of the danger of pornography. God, I'm seeing things that I never thought I'd see Christian people do. Many homes are becoming a violent place of sick behavior, incest, brutality, indecent, immoral conduct between husbands and wives. I preach what I feel. I'm telling you what I what I feel. You may not feel this, and I am not attempting to convert you. But I just want to preach my heart to you today. Ladies and gentlemen, you young couples in this congregation, you are being bombarded by things that your mothers and your grandmothers never heard of. And it's coming in out of the streets. And I know the Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled. But listen to me, young couples, young parents, and maybe some not so young. You better be careful when you start introducing things into your house and into your relationship that will hinder your purity before God. Shocking news stories are to be found on every newsstand. Suicide among the young children of the land is growing at an alarming rate. This current issue, I believe, of Newsweek had a headline article of psychiatric wards taking in more and more little children and young people, and it said, will the psychiatric ward replace the home? 
That's what it says. I'm not talking about an apostolic holy roller preacher that wrote that. That's men and women that know what's going on in the world today. Pornographers make very little money. Listen to me. Make very little money from the seedy side of town. Pornographers don't get rich from the residents and the participants of Bourbon Street. Pornographers are growing rich in mainstream, middle-class America that has produced a boom in their market. Now, I'm not talking about Pentecostal now. I'm just talking about modern, mainstream, middle-class America. That Playboy magazine that used to be placed discreetly in a closed drawer has be been replaced by the VCR and the movies that once were considered gutter fair. Lust has conceived. Lust has conceived. And you don't have to go to the adult theater anymore and put on a disguise. You can let it sit in your bedroom. Oh God. I weep when I preach this to my congregation. I said, you have taken television away from your children, and rightly so. You have taken your children out of the movie theaters. You have taken your children out of the ball games. But have we given them anything to replace that? Oh, you say we're going to pray all night. Come on now. We're going to take it all away. But are we going to give them anything? Now, you might pray all night. I don't hardly believe that everybody does. But little children, what are they going to do? I see such a sad, a grievous thing here. Somebody warned me one time. And if VCRs come in your congregation, you can't trust your people. And I said, I don't believe it. You know what? You know how it turned out? They were right and I was right. Because there were some people that could not be trusted to govern themselves. Most of them could be. I don't grieve for the most of them. I don't grieve for 99. I'm grieving over one nice young man and a beautiful young woman and a five-year-old child that's being pulled down. You know, 
I hope I don't take too long here. But I find that we are kind of halfway between law and grace. A slave had to have law. A free man's got to have grace. But in order to be free, you've got to have character. In order to be free, you've got to have strong personal integrity. A free man will not accept servitude. A slave has got to have it. And we're caught in between people that are part free and part slave. How much government is enough and when does it become too much? I'm going to go on and say what I started to say. You're either going to love me or hate me once, so I'll just go on and say what I started to say. I saw a VCR as an answer. I said, we can take our families and they can pop some popcorn and they can check out a good, nice, clean, character-building something or produce something, and they can all have a family evening together. I hope I'm right. I know my philosophy is right, but it depends on the people. It depends on you. I'm scared! Lest you, and I don't indict anybody, I'm just speaking collectively, have looked to the pastor to govern you to the point that you don't know how to handle freedom. Oh, you say, we don't want dictators. We don't want people that's always telling us, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Then grow up. And govern yourself. Shall I dare? Shall I dare to speak of the beginning of it all? That innocent old black and white TV that only showed Bugs Bunny and the Lone Ranger and programming which was Mickey Mouse, stuff like that. And now it has developed to the point where it depicts lust as glamour, sin as excitement, homosexuality as acceptable, an alternate lifestyle, cartoons, that once was Mickey Mouse and the Roadrunner are now a cult. Superhero, mystic Greek mythology. Shall I talk about one of the most deadly dangers of this instrument? Have you ever ridden in an automobile that was full of people and there's one CB radio in it? If you got that radio on, they can't nobody talk. That radio will dominate and control that whole environment. Yeah, Come on. I see as one of the most serious 
infractions and dangers of television as the point where it dominates the home and you never talk. You don't talk to your wife. You don't talk to your husband. You don't talk to your children. You never read to them. And kids grow up dumb because mama didn't read to them when they was a year old and two years old, three years old. They stuck them in front of a mechanical babysitter. You can do the same thing with the cleanest films you can find for any sort of projection equipment. I'm preaching we got to grow up. I'm preaching that the man is the priest of the house. I do not believe it is my authority to walk in your home and tell you, you have got to do this. I'm in your home now. You're the head there. If I want to tell you what you need to do, I'm going to call you my office. I'm the head there. I don't go to nobody's home. I'm on your territory. You're the head of your home. Whatever comes into your house, you let it in. You're responsible. I know, I know I'm not going to get through, first of all. But I know a young couple, that the man said, I'm going to get a television because all my friends got one. His young wife, beautiful, beautiful Christian woman all of her life sat there all day long and fed on that filth. She got in her mind all sorts of weird concepts. Her husband suddenly is not charming anymore. He is not a romantic anymore. He is not the beautiful, dashing lover anymore. And now she's having an affair. And the man says, my wife is a dirty adulteress. I said, let me talk a little bit to you. Let's go back three years ago. Right. I have been their pastor for five years. Then how long? What happened about three years ago? Well, we got a television. Who got it? I did. I said, let me tell you a story. It's a true story. You may know that. A man and his wife had a boa constrictor as a pet, a big snake. That snake crawled up in their baby's bed and wrapped itself around that baby and crushed it to death. I said, now blame it on the baby. You brought that snake in there. Once desire is conceived, it brings forth sin. And then sin brings forth death, the Bible says. Then all that's left is a funeral. And there's not much to do at a funeral but grieve. Now let me close with just a few words. It's not enough to present a problem. I got a remedy. There's a remedy, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, the delivering grace and power of Jesus Christ. Washing, cleansing, forgiving, purging, uh, 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 What's the word I'm thinking for? Uh, aborting. 
power to resist. And then number two, protection against this disease called sin. Ungodly perverse generation. You ain't never lived in a generation like you're living in now. We protect our children against communicable diseases of every means, by every means possible. Vaccination, quarantine, you would never allow an unnecessary visit to a typhoid infested area. Why do men not see the danger of sin and the terrible cost to this land? Perhaps I might suggest the sinner loves his sinning. The alcoholic loves his alcohol. The drug addict loves his sticks. The homosexual loves his homosexuality. The gambler loves his gambling. You go on and on. Oh, I hear some say, I want to get out. I want to go straight. But then they return again to that thing that was conceived within them. God cannot save any man from any sin if there is not a true desire for repentance and a commitment to stay away from that sin which overrides one's desire for repentance and forgiveness and drags them back into the same filth they came out of. I exhort you, ladies and gentlemen, would you stand, please? I exhort you in closing. Fear, fear, fear the power of sin. It's not a light thing. Fear the effects of sin. How common, how common is the sorrow that comes so many, quote, good unquote, people who do not appreciate or comprehend the danger of sin.